0: Depression is much more severe in the sense that um, it's, in our terms, like a clinical depression, exactly is what I'm going to describe, is is that there's a bunch of symptoms that someone might have um, for more than just a couple of hours. It's usually for many days, at least two weeks. Sometimes it's much longer. Some people experience it for months, years even. So it could be a biological predisposition where you can have a family genetic loading for it and you're predisposed to then have depression. and um, top of that, you can have other factors that can contribute. So I think just being aware that there's many ways in which depression looks, quote unquote, that someone might not be able to go to work or go to school or missing classes. And then there's some people that are look like they're doing fine on the outside, meaning they are going to work, they are going to school, but they are not doing well. And internally, they're suffering. Um, And only once they share that with the people, when they share that with anyone that, that they can, do you understand the depth of their depression. So I think it can look quote unquote, different ways.
1: Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 53. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com. Hi friend, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. So glad you decided to spend your time here with us today so it is mental health awareness month this may and i wanted to put together a mental health basics series for this month where we're just going to lay out and define the basics on common mental health challenges like depression like anxiety like panic attacks and really lay out what those symptoms are what the treatments typically are um, what that may look like as a diagnosis and how we can support those who are going through it This way, if you or someone you know are experiencing some of these symptoms, hopefully you'll be able to identify them to take the appropriate steps needed to find help and real solutions that work because we are deserving of solutions and a lot of these have evidence-based treatments um, that can help, right? Life can look very different uh, when we're encountering some of these struggles with the right support and with the right help. That being said, this month we're kicking off our Mental Health Basics series with my friend Dr. Diana Samuel and we're talking about depression. Some of the things we touch on in this episode are what are the signs and symptoms of depression, what are some of the treatments for depression, why might someone need medication for depression and what does medication do, and how can we best support someone who we know who's struggling with depression. Also, as a warning, we do talk about suicide in this episode, just so just be aware of that. Uh, but I do believe that this is going to be very helpful. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Diana, Dr. Samuel is an adult psychiatrist who completed her residency at Mount Sinai Hospital and dual fellowships at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. Dr. Samuel has an extensive experience in evaluating and treating a wide variety of both acute and non-acute psychiatric symptoms and illnesses with many years of experience at renowned hospitals in New York City. She's trained in psychodynamic psychotherapy and actively works with families in helping them cope with mental illness and a loved one. Dr. Samuel is also an assistant professor of clinical psychiatry at Columbia University Irving Medical Center and has had a busy private practice at Columbia Doctors in Midtown Manhattan. She's been cited in popular media outlets such as People Magazine, U.S. News and World Report, and Good Housekeeping, and is just overall one of the most wonderful people that I know. She shares a lot of helpful information about mental health online, so be sure to check her out. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Diana Samuel on Depression. Diana, my friend, I am so glad that you're joining us today for the podcast. How are you?
0: Me too. I'm good. I'm good. Excited to be here finally.
1: Yes, I know. Finally, I've been wanting to get you on for a while, but what better time to have you for Mental Health Awareness Month as we're doing this series on mental health basics? And, you know, we're talking about the basics of mental health. What is depression? What is anxiety? What is bipolar? Just kind of all the things that People can have a basic understanding of for themselves and for others, and uh so
0: important, so important. and some I'm really really, sorry.
1: yeah, and today we're talking about depression, which I think is is the big one, right, when people are like, yeah. how do I know it's depression? how do I know I'm depressed, especially if they've been living this way for so long, um or if they notice someone in their life has been really down and they don't know maybe how serious it is. I think this is a really important discussion probably to help clarify those things for the everyday person
0: for sure for sure i'm happy to do that
1: great so for starters what are the signs and symptoms of depression like what's the difference between being sad and being depressed I
0: think that's a great question that you even asked that, because so often I hear people use it so colloquially, they use them interchangeably, sad or depressed. Like some people say, I'm really depressed, but they really mean is sadness. So we think of depression and sadness as on a spectrum where depression is a more extreme version of sadness. um, It makes much more sense, right? All of us feel sad at times. It's a normal emotional response to a negative Um, event or something that might have gone on emotionally, right? But depression is much more severe in the sense that um, it's in our terms, like a clinical depression, exactly is what I'm going to describe is, is that there's a bunch of symptoms that someone might have. Um, for more than just a couple of hours. It's usually for many days, at least two weeks. Sometimes it's much longer. Some people experience it for months, years even. Um, But the the symptoms you look for are changes in the appetite. So this can be increased appetite. It could be a lower appetite, um, changes to sleep. And again, that could be sleeping more than usual or sleeping much less than usual, having a lot of difficulty with sleep. You can feel really fatigued, have like low energy during the day, find it really hard to focus feeling guilty, low self-worth, suicidal thoughts. This is a big one. Some people will have thoughts. These are people that have never had these kind of thoughts that might start to experience them. And these are people that sometimes struggle with that kind of thought when they're depressed. But when they're not depressed, they're not suicidal. Um, You might have a loss of interest in activities that you once enjoyed. So the things that you used to enjoy like shopping or seeing friends, you now feel like I don't want to do that. Nor if I'm doing it, I don't enjoy it at all. Um, And then feeling slowed down, meaning like some people just really feel as though they can't get out of bed. Like they just feel like they're just slowed, their body feels slowed. Um, So it's usually a uh, culmination of like five of these symptoms at least. So again, if you only have one symptom or two, chances are you're not suffering from depression if you don't have like the severity and like the number of symptoms. So it could just be sadness with one or two changes, right? So I think that's a distinction to be really aware of, that there's a multitude of symptoms to make it depression.
1: And you can imagine if you're feeling all of these things at one time consistently, how debilitating that is, how much it would affect your everyday life, probably. Oh being able to work or not being able to work um, and all of these things. And I think that when we understand that this is something that is clinical, that is serious, then uh, people would be less likely to minimize the struggle as just like sadness or, you know, just think differently or pray more and realizing that it is, it is far more complex than that and it is not that simple.
0: For sure. And I think that's a great point is, is that if you think about it as a medical illness, like you do blood pressure, high blood pressure or diabetes, it is the same. It is a medical illness. You don't have control over it. So I see a lot of people that are like, I just feel like if I could exercise or diet or pray, or I do this and that, then I wouldn't be depressed, or I haven't done enough to not be depressed. And that's not the case. No one chooses depression. No one wants to be depressed. It's just that that's unfortunate. Like you're saying, it's like, there's a chemical imbalance. These things like a culmination of events can happen at the same time that then all these factors could be a biological predisposition where you can have a family genetic loading for it. And you're predisposed to then have di- depression. And um, top of that, you can have other factors that can contribute. So I think just being aware that there's many ways in which depression looks quote unquote that someone might not be able to go to work or go to school or missing classes and then there's some people that are look like they're doing fine on the outside meaning they are going to work they are going to school but they are not doing well and internally they're suffering Um, and only once they share that with the people when they share that with anyone that, that they can do you understand the depth of their depression so I think it can look quote unquote different ways.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you saying that it could look different for everyone because yeah. I know that something that we, you and I talk about is the cultural aspect of things. And so like for some, uh, for some and I know the black community, depression can um, come off as like frustration or anger for some um, because they can't, because the sadness aspect is not as culturally accepted because it's seen as more weak. It might manifest as being like aggravated or, or angry. Mm-hmm. Um, but really there's a depression that's going on underneath, um, and maybe anger looks like a stronger emotion. And so it's translated that way. Um, I've seen that a lot in, in our culture. Um, and so I think even that cultural aspect of like, how does your culture see depression? How does your culture translate depression? Do they even recognize it all plays a role in like, if you're even going to talk about it. For
0: sure. Let alone like think you have it, talk about it, relate to someone, go seek help. And like you said, it's like so many there are levels of depth that can really um interface with the why you might reach out to get get treatment or not. Because like you said, there's the cultural aspects that black are going like every culture, meaning not just race, culture, like there's so many variables that like I've seen it happen in so many ways, like within a family, even people will be like, we just don't talk about our mental health. We don't talk about our feelings. So therefore you cannot be depressed because you're not able to express that if that's what you're going through. You know what I mean? Like there's so many variations and dynamics that play out, but um, great point. Yes, there is definitely a lot of barriers that might not, um, depression may not present the same way we might expect it to in different people.
1: Yeah. And... To think that we could be the end of that cycle in our families. You know, if you're listening and you come from a household, a culture, a background where that's not talked about, um, that we can be the start of reversing that so that the generations after us um, can feel more comfortable having that emotional intelligence as a part of their language. So um, I love that. I love that we're talking about this. Now, For someone who's like, yes, I have been feeling all these things, or someone who knows someone who has been feeling all these things, the good news is that there is hope. There are real solutions for depression. Um, And I was hoping you could talk about, uh, as a psychiatrist, what are some of the treatments for depression?
0: So like I said before, it's a spectrum, meaning that the severity of depression can really vary. So depending on the severity, and again, as a person listening to this, you may not know what your severity is until a clinician kind of talks you through it and figures it out. But I can say is that therapy can be really, really effective Um, depending on the therapy. You know, it really can vary in terms of how long it might take to help your symptoms improve. Medications are a really great alternative also, and um, not as an alternative. They might need to be used in adjunct with the therapy, but medications can be extremely helpful. I've seen it so many times in my um, time in practice, like people miraculously look so much better on medications. They almost wonder, and they say to me is like, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. Like I've suffered for so long. I didn't know I could feel this well. I didn't know I could feel like my old self again. So again, medications can be a really good option and sometimes can really be necessary. Alternative treatment. So let me just put a plug here that if someone's listening to this and saying, Well, I've already been in treatment and that's not working and this isn't working, just know that sometimes there is a certain population of people that we find that don't respond, they have a partial response or no response to some of our medications. And they might be what we call treatment resistant. So they might be in a category in which they have to consider other options like ECT or ketamine and You know, so again, I just want you to put a plug there that if things aren't working and you feel like you are trying and you are reaching out and you're getting the treatments your doctors are proposing and your therapist is saying, just know that there are, thankfully, with the way in which um, psychiatry is working mental health these days, that there's so many cool treatments that are coming out that are quite effective. I've seen it with my very own eyes. I can just, I can vouch for it for sure. and another thing I just want to plug on is, is that sure, medications and therapy and all that thing is great, but also focusing on sleep hygiene. Like, are you sleeping? Are you, How are you sleeping? Like, are you making sure it's an ideal situation? Could you meditate? Is mindfulness something that you can start to inc- incorporate into practice? So I think there's a lot of things. And the reason I mentioned these last is because All those things, sleep hygiene, meditation and mindfulness can be extremely hard if you're not feeling well enough to do them. So sometimes therapy meds might need to be the first priority and then the other stuff will come when you're feeling a little bit better. So I just want to say that, you know, sleep hygiene, meditation, and mindfulness might not be enough for some people. And for some it might be, you know, just to help them get through this, like us, you know, depending on how bad things are.
1: Yeah, it kind of makes it so you're like swimming downstream instead of upstream, (laughs) so to speak
0: just to have that extra
1: help. Um, And I'm so glad you mentioned all those treatments, you know, and and because research has shown that people on average wait, what is it like nine to 10 years before ever seeking help? And by Uh then it's become so severe. And for so many reasons, one, they may not even know that they're struggling with depression. They just have lived with it for so long that they've assumed that it's their norm or maybe it's not culturally respected, uh, noticed or whatever it is. And so I think that... It is so liberating and encouraging to know that, okay, wait, there, I don't have to live this way. There is another side to this. And um, thank you for bringing up medication as well, because I have experienced where pe- it helps people function as their normal selves. And this is where we're talking about depression isn't just a mind over matter thing when it's clinical, when it's severe, it's just not a matter. It's not just a matter of your thoughts, but there are biological factors at work. And so that being said, could you share a little bit about like what medication does biologically for someone who is depressed?
0: Yeah. So generally with depression, the primary treatment, usually the evidence base is for um, selective serotonin and reuptake inhibitors, those are SSRIs, we call them. And how they work is, is they basically help in- increase the amount of serotonin in your, in your body, in your mind. So that, um, and serotonin is to feel good, happy. You know, we think of neurochemical that helps you feel better. So by increasing the amount of serotonin, people over time usually feel better. So again, it can be, antidepressants like SSRIs can be really effective for depression. And let me just say also that a lot of people with depression suffer from anxiety. There's a large population. So. Thankfully, these medications can treat both. Um, so if you're just suffering from anxiety or just suffering from depression, it's still the same treatment, so just know that. But at the same time, it's like, they can be quite effective. And like I said, it's like, there's a, a biochemical imbalance. It is out of your control a lot of time for me, most people. So again, these medications can make the huge difference in
1: people feeling better. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing, but I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself and it's been super convenient You know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health so what happens is when you sign up you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less and you can securely message your counselor anytime any day you know day or night and get replies within 24 to 48 hours BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign-up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line. Okay. If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay. Let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, I think that that's helpful for people to understand because sometimes people are just prescribed medicine or they're just told to take medicine, but they don't even know what it's really doing. Um, sure. And the idea that it's actually working with the neurochemicals that are already in your brain, and like you said, like serotonin, which is a kind of mood-stabling, feel-good chemical that your brain already has, but it just has a lack of it for whatever reason. And this medication just helps it become more available mm-hmm. in your brain so you can access more of that neurochemical so you can feel more functional um, or more normal, um, I think is is really, really helpful to know um, that it's working off of your own systems.
0: Exactly. Great way to put it. Exactly. It's just, it's improving what's already there, right? Yes. And why some people just have less of it or, you know, don't have it as available. You know, again, there's so many factors in terms of like, that's another, that's another whole another podcast of what causes depression. But that being said, it's like, so much of it is like, it's not, just know it's not your fault if you if you need to take a medication or you're suffering depression there's a lot of great treatments so getting help is the first step for sure
1: thank you so much for saying that yes you get taking medication or being in treatment it is not a personal failure it is not a spiritual failure it is not a moral failure it is a part of the human experience like any other uh, thing that can go awry in our bodies. And thankfully, we have um, the means to to treat that in today's day and age, you know, we're at such a special time where now we can see our brains and know what's going on, and we've developed these treatments that can actually help, you know exactly. so, <laughs> so that being said, How can we best support someone we know who might be struggling with depression?
0: Yeah. So I I think if you're not a clinician, you know, you're just, you know, a friend, a family member, someone that realizes that, hey, this person I know I think is suffering or is suffering. You're aware of it. I think think the first thing to be aware of is... Is suicide an option? Because I think that's when, of course, as a provider and a clinician, I'm more concerned about someone because even though you might think like, of course, this person's religious or this person would never commit suicide because they have kids, they have a family, like the number of reasons why intellectually we might know that people sometimes do not commit suicide, know that for even those people I've seen it many times over that Um, suicide ends up being on their plate, like means that they can't help it, but think that they almost start to convince themselves. I had patients tell me it's like they can can convince themselves that life would be better for their family member if they weren't here, actually, because these are the reasons because they're so because you understand when they're depressed, they just don't see things as clearly. It's almost like seeing life in gray, like they just don't. Um, they can't recognize that that's not indeed the truth. My loved one would be so you know sad if I was in here, and they'd cause like a trickling effect of issues. So nonetheless, I think just recognizing that suicide might be um, on their plate, and the only way you might know this is by asking it. So ask it directly, and know that by asking it, you're not going to make someone suicidal. So if they're suicidal, they are suicidal. You don't need to. You asking it is not going to make them more suicidal. It's already a thought in their mind. But I think feeling comfortable with asking the question and B, the second part is is when you're going to ask the question, you might get a response that you may feel that uncomfortable with, right? So someone might say, yes, I am suicidal. And what do you do with that? So I think when you go into the conversation, potentially I my advice would be to have some resources in mind. Hey, I know of, um these potential you know clinics or um doctors I could call or therapists or I can go to a call like go to this website NAMI National Alliance of Mental Illness and I can find resources in my area. Um, if the person's actually really suicidal and concerned, I know that this is the closest emergency room or this is the hospital we need to go to get them help immediately. So I think just being aware that hey, if they give you a response um, I have some resources, and just know you're, if you're not a clinician that you don't need to know what the answer is. How to help them? It might be the help is is that you you go with them and support them to see someone that can help them. Questions: Do they do they need the hospital? So, just know that like it's a heavy plate to carry, especially with depression, because so many people are suicidal when they're depressed, and I I, I, can, I don't say lightly. I see a lot of people that their family members are like, Of course, they're not suicidal, and they had like no clue that the patient is definitely suicidal. Um, and it's been struggling with this kind of ideas for a long period of time. So, I think that's one thing is to be there, be empathetic, listen, listen to what you're hearing, but also seeing. I want to say that because even body language and what people are behaving you know, if you notice, like, hey, this person isn't like taking other trash, or they notice, like, they're just coming into late to work or like they never do that and then noticing they're not sleeping as well and they're like seem a bit on edge and like just seem like they don't want to go out and do things like just see you know it may not be the words they may not say they're depressed but are you noticing stuff about their behaviors and how they're acting that just seems not their usual self right so i think um being empathetic listening being um knowing the resources um and asking the questions is really and Being okay with isn't not being scared and not being reactionary and say, of course, you shouldn't be suicidal because you believe in God or because we have a family and like not not placing judgment on whatever their um, experience might be at the time.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for laying that, laying that out. Um, listening to what they're saying, but also noticing those differences and those patterns, like like you mentioned, are really important. And I know for me, um, having been like a crisis counselor on the crisis text line, you know, not everybody that texts in is suicidal or, you know, if, or texts for that reason, but we have to ask yes. every single time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's just something that I think people feel intimidated kind of to do, to have that conversation. I mean, after a while, when you've kind of had the training, you're just like, that is just what you do. But for the person who's like, oh gosh. I don't know how to ask, Can I- what? how would you ask?
0: I would say, hey, um, Sam, I've noticed that you just, you seem like things are off. Um, are you feeling okay? And saying, so if you get down to the conversation you know they're depressed say it sounds like you're really depressed have you ever had thoughts that life isn't worth living or that you wish you were dead um and they might say well like what is the point of living or what's you know i really feel like there's no hope and i wish i could just go to sleep and never wake up and i've That's, you know, that's a different version. And some people might respond and say, um, actually I've had thoughts that be I wanna jump off the roof or I wanna jump in front of a train or, you know, I've heard varying levels. Um, And once you hear that, I think just knowing again, you as a a friend or family member don't need to know what to do with that information. Because again, I I would never expect, and I wouldn't want you to do anything with that in the sense, um, you should not be making the decision about whether they stay home and or not go to the emergency room i think at that point is when you call the suicide prevention hotline or call nine one one or go to the emergency room or you know because again it's like if a person is suicidal it's just hard to know in terms of a the severity for you to know that or b what is the right decision in terms of treatment um so i think that you know don't don't feel like all the answers either when you Go and ask these questions, just know that, hey, I'm comfortable with knowing that I may need to be the one that um ends up making a call to call 911 or taking them to an the emergency room because if they're not safe enough with their own self or their thoughts, I may need to help them feel safe.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's very important. And this is that kind of critical information, like, you know, at the most severe. But like you said, it it's it's more common than people realize. Like now, just being in the world of mental health, um, that's kind of a common conversation.
0: Um, And you know, and again, I don't wanna make this all about suicide because there's a lot of people that are depressed and never even struggle with suicide.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So let me just not say that I'm not trying to scare everyone to think that if you're depressed, you're gonna be suicidal, it's not the case. Um, but it is the most severe version of our, our depression that I do of worry about and really get concerned about. So I just want to put it out there. Um, but just knowing, again, like you said, that there is, there, it can be scary. But again, as long as you are willing to ask the question and be there, I imagine the person receiving that kind of question would also, sometimes people say it, it's like, it feels like a weight has been lifted to be able yeah. to share that they have that experience and not feel judged, not so alone in that experience that yeah. hey, my family member knows that they're going to check up on me or they're going to make sure. To get the help I need because it's been hard for me to make that phone call. It's been hard for me to look for a therapist. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I think it's ninety nine percent of the time when I've asked a patient to who could they share this information with, and and it ends up being a positive thing for them. They're like, I'm, I'm glad I shared because now I feel like this person's aware, and they were worried already about this or whatever be the version of this. I've heard so many versions of this, so I just want to say that um, I know it may not be easy to want to share that information if you're feeling depressed. So as a person that's asking and know that that person's experience is really difficult so um you're asking it is not any less difficult or more difficult than their experience
1: yeah it's it's it can be very relieving to yeah. to kind of get that burden or all of those thoughts that have been maybe even intrusive like in your mind to to get that out sure. and that being said, uh, what encouragement do you have for someone who may be struggling severely with depression lately?
0: So, uh, w- one encouragement I want to say is is that you're not alone. You know, it's interesting. The statistic normally is that we see is, is that one in five U.S. adults struggles with depression, right? And when I say that statistic, that's that you have to recognize that that's a statistic that they got data from. So obviously, there's a lot of people suffering that are not going to get data from this. So if I had to guess, the number is quite much higher than that. That being said, during the pandemic in the last year or so, they now say it's like one in four. So just recognize that chances are there's a person in your workspace, in your work, in your colleagues, in your family that's also suffering or has suffered, just knowing those numbers just really puts things into perspective that you're not alone. There's a lot of people suffering from depression. Um, They may not really discuss it. And again, depression is very isolating. So people often feel much shame and guilt and there's a lot of feelings about it, but just know you're not alone and that getting help can really make such a huge difference and that decision to get help is huge one i'm not i don't take it lightly i know people that come to see me often they've struggled for a long time before they made the decision to come see me and that was a big decision but just knowing that at least get the information see someone and potentially start the conversation and see if it um, is something you can incorporate because it really can make a va- a huge huge difference when you're suffering
1: Yeah. And that's the hope is that there are solutions. There are evidence-based solutions. They're not just like, I think people think you're going to be like, how are you feeling today? You know, and sit on a couch. It's like, no, there are evidence-based solutions and there is another side to this that is possible and your life is worth exploring what that other side could be for you for sure.
0: Exactly. Giving it a try because I think that's the scary part. It's the unknown, right? If you've never dealt in this space and never been depressed or never sought treatment, it's scary to imagine what that might look like. Like I've had people say, like, well, a doctor forced me to take meds. Well, a doctor automatically recommend meds. What if I don't want to take a medication? Like there's so many variables. And just know that. You as a patient, you have a say, you're the one leading the treatment. In the end of the day, I as a doctor can recommend a medication, but you as a person have to take it, right? I have no control if you take it or not, right? In the end of the day, you can go home and not take your meds and tell me you took it, right? I don't know. So just know that again, like having a really therapeutic, um, a relationship with your doctor and your therapist is really important in this kind of work because you have to be hundred percent honest, you know because it, it does involve emotions and feelings and none of us can read minds. Like I don't necessarily know what you're feeling unless you tell me. right? Um, So I think having a very honest relationship, like as much as I may want patients to take medications because I feel it might help, I appreciate at least when they're telling me, "Hey, I I feel like I can't start it now," or "This is what I'm thinking," because then at least I know what I'm working with, how I can help them in the interim while we then make the decisions as to what comes next. But I think it's then you know you kind of having an open candid conversation, I think, is really really important.
1: Oh, thank you so much for saying that. Um, You know that you know the treatments are really based around you. As a person who is having the experience. And so communicating that, and I'm always telling people, like, you have the right to advocate for yourself and to Mm -hmm. speak up. And I think for some people, it can be intimidating because it's like, this is my doctor, this is my psychiatrist, they know all these things, but you know yourself better than anyone else. It's your experience. So if you're taking a medication and it's not working or the side effects are worse than they are better or whatever it is, or if it's that certain type of medication or you've been taking it for a while and you haven't been noticing any changes, like, you should after some time start feeling relief and changes so if that's not working then that needs to be communicated so that an alternative because they like you said earlier diana there are other options that can be explored You just have to um communicate those things um because yeah you were deserving of solutions that work for you so that that therapeutic relationship and your autonomy and your right to be able to speak up on what is and what isn't working for you is it's totally valid
0: yes completely agree
1: thank you so much for this um how can those who are listening stay in contact with you you post so much informative and wonderful content around mental health and you're just a wonderful person overall um i just you such a good friend of mine i always enjoy talking to you so how can they follow along with the work that you're doing
0: yeah you can find me on instagram i'm diana samuel md he is my handle Um, I am there online and try to post pretty regularly. So um, that's a big place. And, um, yeah, and if you're in New York City, definitely, you know, I'm a practicing psychiatrist here in the city. So that's another way.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, look for the girl who looks like my cousin or something. She's got the the dark hair and the brown skin and the big smile. (laughs) like twins. (laughs) like twins, I know. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys for listening. Be sure to stay tuned in for our mental health awareness series this month as we just uh, continue to raise awareness and education on the basics of common mental health challenges for ourselves and others. Um, Until next time.